This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. There's stuff that comes against every one of us. Sometimes it's huge, huge stuff. Sometimes it's, it's, it's medical stuff. Sometimes it's relationship stuff. Sometimes it's just financial stuff. Sometimes it's uh, just internal battles that, you know, we each fight in different areas of things within our lives. There's battles that every one of us fight. How big is your God? Is your God able to do what he's done in the past in your life? I believe that he is. We are continuing our study in the Minor Prophets today. Pastor David takes us through battles. Hosea had huge things come up against him, and he remained obedient to the Lord. You're asked today, how big is your God? Surely we all have battles come up against us. They could be financial, medical, emotional, family, or job-related. There are so many big problems we will face in this world. The question is, is your God bigger? Is your faith bigger than your problem? Let's join Pastor David in the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verse 1, for today's study. The idea, was she a prostitute before or after, we don't know. The way that it's worded, we could consider the fact that she was already a prostitute, but whatever way that she came, we find a little bit later in the story even, that even after they're married, she is out with her lovers, and actually Hosea has to come and literally buy her back, but uh, we'll look at that a little bit later. But the word's very clear here. She bears him a son. The name of the son is Jezreel. And Jezreel actually comes from Israel's history. Uh, and we can spend some time. We'll, we'll look at a little bit of it. But right now, if you remember the story, think of King Ahab. Think of Naboth's vineyard. Uh, he had a neighbor by the name of Naboth, and, and Ahab was kind of a whiny guy anyway. And he finds out that Naboth has this really nice vineyard. It's right up against the palace. And Ahab, the king, goes to Naboth and says, Hey, would you give me your vineyard? I'd trade you for another vineyard. And Naboth says, No, I kind of like my vineyard. And then he says, Well, I'll give you a lot of money for your vineyard. And Naboth says, No, I don't need any money. I'm fine. I like my vineyard. I'm, I'm fine. Thank you very much much. And so Ahab, instead of manning up on the thing, he goes in and starts whining and gets all depressed and and pouty and everything. And then his wife, Queen Jezebel, comes in and says, Ahab, what's the matter with you? Why are you so down and and, and whiny and all depressed? Well, Naboth wouldn't, I I like his vineyard over there and he wouldn't sell me his vineyard. So my life is ruined. And so what Jezebel does, she decides, well, we'll, we'll have a big party. We'll put Naboth our neighbor and like the head place there in this big party and then once he's there we'll bring in those that will accuse him of speaking and saying blasphemy against God and against the king well Naboth had done none of that and yet it was at that point at the party the guys come up and said hey we heard this this and this they took Naboth out and they stoned him now that it was Jezebel, the judgment of God came upon them because of that. We, we read that. Actually, I want you to do that if you would. Go back to First uh, Kings, okay? You've got to hopscotch over, over uh, Psalms and get over to First Kings. In First Kings chapter 21, because the Lord's going to bring condemnation onto Ahab and Jezebel, okay? In chapter 21... They actually took him out, 
So the uh, in verse uh, 11, the men of the city and the elders, nobles who were inhabitants of this city, did as Jezebel had sent them, as it's written in the letters which she had sent to them. Oh, they proclaimed the feast and all. And then they took him out. Skip on down, verse 14. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And so it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up, went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. It's this whole idea of the valley of Jezreel. And that's where this, where the Lord tells Hosea to name this son. Now, down in verse 27 of this same passage here in, in 1 Kings 21, so it was, uh, the Lord's going to bring some, again, judgment against him. Let's see, verse 25, back up to verse 25. There was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And he behaved very abominably in following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And so it was, when Ahab heard these words, that he tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his body, and fasted, and laid in sackcloth, and went in mourning, because he was going to have judgment upon, uh, God was going to bring judgment upon him. Verse 28, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me, because he has humbled himself before before me, I will not bring calamity in his days. In the days of his son, though, I will bring the calamity on his house. And then over in Second Kings, and we don't need to turn there, but in Second Kings chapter nine, we find the completion of this whole prophecy. A guy by the name of Jehu, who is again related down the line from Ahab, he's anointed the king of Israel. He does wickedly. The Lord brings judgment on him. He goes in and he slaughters a bunch of people. And finally, the Lord takes him out too. The fulfillment of the prophecy, really, of destroying even all of Ahab and that northern kingdom come during this time at around beginning really at around 752. The northern kingdom actually falls in 722. It's actually during the same time that Hosea is around, and we see this. And that's what this son's name is all about. He calls his name Jezreel, because again, God is going to bring judgment again on the people of Israel. So then, back in back in Hosea again, sorry for the little jump there, back in Hosea again, still the chapter 1, Gomer conceives again. In verse 6, she conceives again, and she bears a daughter. And then God said to him, said to Hosea, call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Lo-Ruhamah simply means not obtaining mercy, or not Loved the the name Ruhama comes from a word that means tender mercies or or compassion like a like a parent for a child. But when it has that low Ruhama, that means that none of that is there. As a matter of fact, the Lord was stepping away from those feelings, even though He had those feelings for Israel as literally as a mother for her children. He says, "No longer am I going to, because you've rejected, you rejected, you've rejected. You're following after all of these other idols." So the Lord stepped away as they continued to reject his leadership in their lives. They continued serving 
pagan gods. Now let me ask you this. When we look at our, and I'm going to look at it in a couple of ways here. When we look at our country, when we look at the reality that yes, our constitution is very, very biblically based. And I know that not all the forefathers were Christian. I understand that. But I also know that there was great Christian influence on our forefathers. There was great biblical influence even as they formed the nation. And now some 230, 40, 50 years away from that, we're saying, oh no, that's not what the Constitution had in mind at all. As a matter of fact, we can't have anything religious in our, in our government at all. Do you realize that if they took away this idea of in God we trust, how many buildings in Washington, D.C. that have been built for 200 years that they would have to either dismantle or, or change or grade away to file away? Because it's all over in Washington, D.C., the fact that our nation was founded under godly principles. And yet we're moving so far away from it that now it's illegal to have even the Ten Commandments posted in a a building like a a school or, or, or a courtroom or things. And yet in the Supreme Court, there's a big plaque of the Ten Commandments right there. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. Rejecting his leadership. Do you think that God has reason to pull his protective hand from America? Absolutely. And when we look at, now we bring it down a little bit more personal. When we look again at the church general, okay, and and I'm painting a wide, wide brush here when I say the church. There's so much today that's called the church that if Jesus left it and if the Holy Spirit was not there, nobody would know the difference. There's so many places that are called churches today where the Word of God is only mentioned maybe a few times. It's never the focus on the teaching. It's this plan or these steps or these ideas. So again, not only is the Word missing, but the Spirit is missing. And again, do you think that again God's hand is is going to be moved by that kind of a thing? What about now? We bring it down even more personal. What about in our own lives? In each one of our lives personally, how impacted and how drawn are we to the things of God versus the things of the world? How much do the things of the world influence our actions, attitudes, thoughts, words versus the things of God and the Spirit of God within our lives? Do you think that makes a difference? You better shake your head like this, okay, just to make me feel better, okay? Because we need, we need to be a people who are moved by the Spirit of God and not by the Spirit of this world. And I understand that every once in a while, there's good things in this world, okay? I understand that every once in a while, society will come up with something that's good. But is it the best? Is it really where we need to be? Careful on those things. In the midst of God's declaration of judgment to Israel, again, uh, call her name Loharama, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. I'll utterly take them away. In the midst of that, at the same time, God speaks toward Judah, the southern kingdom. In verse 7, he says, Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. I will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, by horses or horsemen. And 
God is saying, now, I'm, I'm going to save Judah. But let me ask you, do you guys understand that Judah was not completely obedient either? That Judah had good kings and bad kings. Judah followed the Lord, and then there were seasons that they fell away from the Lord, and they were running as hard and as fast after pagan gods as they could. And the, and the pagan worship that was so prominent in the northern kingdom, for some reason, seemed to be attracted to the southern kingdom, to, to Judah. Now, Judah had the, the temple. Judah had Jerusalem. Judah had the places of worship and the place where God said to come and worship. And yet, there were times in Judah's life that they changed even the temple, even into pagan worship. And you think, yet God says... I'm, I'm, I'm still going to save them. I'm going to, I'm going to work by them. I'm going to keep them. And it's kind of interesting in all of this how this came about. It's the Assyrians that brought down Israel, the northern kingdom. Again, at that 722 BC time frame. That's when the northern kingdom fell. At the same time, the Assyrians came knocking at the door of Judah too. And again, just as the prophecy here declares it, God was going to save them, but not because of the military might of Judah. I'm going to have you turn again and back to Kings again, so you can kind of see how this all fills out. Go to Second Kings, and in Second Kings chapter 19, just a real short passage. Okay, now the Assyrians are coming, and they're coming against the southern kingdom, against Judah, okay? And the Assyrians are a vicious, warring people. Judah did not have the ability to be able to come and fight them. Someone say, hey, let's go down to Egypt. Maybe we can get some help from there. No, God says, don't ever do that. Well, listen what God did in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35. Let me back up to 32. I always like getting a running start. Okay, Verse 32, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into the city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185 thousand. And when people rose early in the morning, there were corpses, all dead. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Is God able to do that? Let me ask you. Let's bring it home, okay? Let's bring it home in our lives. There's stuff that comes against every one of us. Sometimes it's huge, huge stuff. Sometimes it's, it's, it's medical stuff. Sometimes it's relationship stuff. Sometimes it's just financial stuff. Sometimes it's uh, just internal battles that you know, we each fight in different areas of things within our lives. There's battles that every one of us fight. How big is your God? Is your God able to do what he's done in the past in your life? I believe that he is. I believe that we can stand on the assurity of God's word knowing that he will fight those battles. And a lot of times we go looking for ways to, to deal with certain things and we're trying to do this over here and well, if I only had that over there, or if, boy, if I could just get this, then this will happen. How many times do we need to just stop and rest and wait on the Lord and allow him to provide the answer, allow him to just supernaturally and miraculously 
provide. I believe if we were a people that had that understanding of the greatness of God and that we moved in that, I believe that we would see miracles happen more often. But you know what? I don't need a miracle because I've got American Express. I don't need a miracle because I've got a great health plan at work. I don't need a miracle because of this or this or this. You know what? In third world countries, they don't have all that. You know that there are miracles happening? In Africa, I don't doubt a thing that while you're there, you're going to see either them happening before your very eyes or you'll hear tell the the testimony of individuals that, that have seen it. You think almost a common place. A lot more common than we see here because we're too easy to go to the bow and to the sword and try to fight our battles that way rather than allowing the Lord to deal with it and work it in his own time. In one night, 185,000 Assyrians, and I love the way that it said it, that uh, 185 corpses, and they were dead. And just about just about every corpse I've ever seen has been dead. So I, I guess that's like doubly dead. But And that's kind of the way that, that the Lord does it. Not mostly dead, but dead. So now it's time for Gomer to have her third child. Okay, go back to Hosea. Verse 8. Now when she had weaned Lohurama, she conceived and bore a son. And then God said, call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Anybody here born with a weird name or given a weird name at birth? You know, uh, Nothing like this. Nothing like this. How would you like to have that name? You are not my people. I will not be your God. Lo-Ami, not my people. Pretty cut and dry at that point. When we look at this, that, that last little phrase, I'm not your God, it literally means, I am not, I am to you. I am not, I am to you. And that's pretty powerful when you think of who I am was for the people of God since the very days. Remember Moses at the burning bush? And Moses says, well, who am I going to tell him has sent me? And God speaks to him and says, tell them I am has sent you. So Israel has understood I am as being the one that's taken them out of the bondage of Egypt, the one who has provided for them through the desert wandering, the one that guided them with the, the pillar of fire and the, the cloud at night. It's, it's I am who's fought against the enemies. It's I am that opened the Red Sea. It's I am that opened up the Jordan. It's I am that caused the walls of Jericho to fall. It's the I am who has, again, just covered them in so many ways. And now he comes up and says, you know what? I'm no longer going to be I am to you. That's pretty heavy duty because they continued, they continued to reject what they knew to be true. They continued to reject the leadership of God in any way, shape, form, or fashion in their life. Again, going back in a little bit of history, when they, came, when, when they became the northern kingdom, Jeroboam didn't want them to go back to Jerusalem when they split. And so he built these places of worship in the northern kingdom for the people so that they didn't have to go back to Jerusalem. And the dumb thing is, is people bought into it. And so very quickly, as they built those places of worship, they built these 
calves, these golden calves. Now, where do we find that? Okay, let's go back to the, the desert wanderings. Let's go back to Moses up getting the Ten Commandments. He comes down, and Aaron had built these. No, I didn't build them. It just kind of jumped out of the fire. I don't know. And, and the people were worshiping. And that's the very same kind of a thing that they began worshiping up in the northern kingdom. And they got into all kinds of pagan worship, completely devoid of what they knew to be right. And God had told him over and over and over, you're not gonna, you don't have any other gods before me. Don't be building idols and all these kinds of things. But they went, they, they bought it hook, line, and sinker as they went in and began again with the false worship and the pagan worship. And so the Lord says, you know what? I want your last son to be called Lo Ami because you're not my people anymore and I will not be your God. So the Lord declares his absolute rejection and destruction toward them. But you know what, guys? That's the doom and gloom. But here also comes the faithfulness and the hope. Because what does he say in verse 10? Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it is said to them, You're not my people. There it shall be said, You are the sons of the living God. So those who at one time were rejected, now again we can look at this and say, well, are we talking about the next generations? And it could very well be. Could it be talking about the Gentiles? I believe it's definitely speaking about that. But I believe that again, in the overall course of things, what God is saying, yes, I am rejecting you. But you're not the end of the work that I'm doing. Just like right now, there are many who are in Israel that die outside of Christ, outside of salvation. They are Israelites, but they don't have faith in the Messiah. But that's not because God has given up on them. God is still working with them and will still bring many. He he goes on to say in verse 11, Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. This is that time when he says, Those that said, you're, you're not my people, they'll be sons of the living God. He says, Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel, they'll be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head. And they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. God made a covenant relationship with Abraham. And here he is, he's just simply declaring that he was not, nor will he ever, break that covenant relationship. There were individuals that never entered into that relationship. But as a people, God maintained that relationship. But they still had to obey it, still had to come to it independently, one by one. When we look at the division of the kingdoms, we actually find that when the northern kingdom broke away, that there are a lot of those that instead of going to the northern kingdom out of all of those tribes, those ten tribes, the ten, what they call the ten lost tribes, we'll talk about that in a moment, that out of that, people came from every tribe back down to Judah. We, we read in Second Chronicles chapter 11, for from all their territories, the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel, took their stand with him. For the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. So, in other words, when the break came, the Levites and all came down to Judah. Jeroboam was setting up his own worship, as we said a moment ago. 
We continue on in Second Chronicles. He says, Then Jeroboam appointed for himself priests for the high places, for the demons, and the calf idols which he had made. And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, people from every tribe, every one of those tribes that broke away, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. How many of you have ever heard the the Ten Lost Tribes? Anybody? Okay, okay. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Remember, at the website you'll find quite a bit of information about The Open Word and a link to the church website. So log on to TheOpenWord.com today and get to know us better. We wish we had more time today to share more of Pastor David's message, but we've run out of time. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in. And may God richly bless you.